Well, Oregon State's Pac-12 title hopes are not zero, but they're quite slim going forward. So if that doesn't happen, what is success for the Bees in 2023 now? You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I am your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights and soon to be mostly team free. But until then, beloved and loaded conference of champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show, which today is brought to you by Prize Picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash college. Use code college for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy. I have with me today Carter Baines, 24-7 Sports National Writing Desk, and beaverblitz.com. Carter, a successful season for Oregon State after the loss to Arizona is what, in your view? I think winning every game except for maybe one of Oregon-Washington. Like you said, Oregon State still technically has a path to the Pac-12 championship. And so I think, obviously, uh, you know, making it to the Pac-12 title game would constitute success. That would would entail winning out and having, uh, you know, most likely having USC losing a game. And then you've got the tiebreakers with Oregon-Washington. You probably play Washington in the Pac-12 title game unless Washington loses another game between now and then, and then things get even murkier. So uh, the most straightforward path is Oregon State wins out, USC loses a game, Oregon State plays Washington in the Pac-12 title. Now, obviously that would be a successful season, but if that doesn't happen, I think it's Oregon State winning the rest of its games um, with the exception of they split Washington and Oregon. And obviously Oregon State fans would rather beat Oregon than Washington. Um, but those are two, as we just saw yesterday in the, the CFP top 25, two top six teams. And obviously winning one of them, regardless of who it is, is, is going to be a massive win for the program. So um, yeah, I think at the very least, Oregon State needs to win one of those games for this season to be constituted a, a success, which I mean, man, that's a nine and three season. Uh, that's traditionally about as good as it gets at Oregon State. Yeah, and it's an interesting place to be for Beaver fans out there because thinking of the possibility of an 8-4 and four season and calling it a disappointment is in and of itself a positive place to be. But still, I think you and I agree, and we talked before the season when we made our preseason record predictions, and I had them at 9-3. At and three. I think you had them at 10-2. At, at and 8-4 and four would be with what I think is possible this season or, or was and still kind of is possible for the Beavs, I think eight and four would be a little bit of a letdown and then would require, I think, a little bit of introspection to say, okay, it's not the year that we wanted, but let's also, and we don't know what's happened in 2024 and, and beyond, though we should know here within you know probably the next month or so, a year in which eight and four is not good is reflective of how far they have come under Jonathan Smith. And so it's kind of that weird in between of like, okay, you know, eight and four is still a good season, but also 
it could have been more. You could argue should have been more. When you look at the two losses that they do have, they haven't lost to you know a Pac-12 contender at this point in time. They, they have not dropped any of those games. They beat UCLA. They beat Utah. They lost to Arizona and, and Washington State. So what do you make of that kind of like weird in-between feeling? How do you think Oregon State fans should feel about it? Yeah, I'm kind of split on it too because I think obviously Oregon State has proven that it can beat and and has beaten two of the the upper half teams in Utah and UCLA. Uh, but then when you lose to two teams that are barely combined to be above 500 now in, in Washington State and Arizona, it, it gives you this feeling of, uh, of of maybe volatility where it's like you have a really high ceiling, but your floor is also lower than I think you expected if you're an Oregon State fan. Um, the Arizona game did not come as a surprise to either of us. Uh, you know, that's a good Arizona team. It's a mm-hmm. tough spot to go down there in the desert at night and, and win that game. Um, but it's, it, it's obviously a disappointing loss in that I think both of us would agree Oregon State is the better team there. Um, it just ran into a tough matchup. Um, so again, it, you know, I don't think anyone would be shocked if Oregon State went out and beat Washington and or Oregon. Um, but at this point, like everything, nothing hits quite as hard considering Oregon State has two disappointing losses. Right. So if, if they beat one of Oregon and Washington, win everything else, I think a loss to either Colorado or Stanford would move it into, okay, this is a really disappointing season sort of territory. I don't anticipate that to happen, playing two of the bottom three teams in uh, the Pac-12, depending on where you would, uh, you know, power rank them at this point in, in the season. Colorado on the road, you know, let's 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 kind of transition into that. Carter, Beavs are about a two touchdown favorite. I think FanDuel's got that line over at uh, about 13, 13 and a half. It's kind of fluctuated uh, a couple times th- this week. I've seen around there, but that feels about right given the way Oregon State has played on the road this year. When you look at you know, it was 52 to 40 against Cal, the loss to Arizona, the loss to Washington State. So far, Pac-12 road play has been a struggle for the Beavs. I think the good news for them going into this matchup against Colorado is the, the Buffs defense played better against UCLA last week, which they deserve full, full credit for. But the weakness for Colorado this year has been their defense specifically stopping the run. Oregon ran all over them. USC had a, a really high yards per carry average. I forget their actual total, but and the ground game being the strength of the Beavs is why I do like Oregon State in this matchup. And Colorado's offensive line is a, a pretty glaring weakness, and I think it's an opportunity for Oregon State's uh, defensive front to kind of get right. I think we talked last week about some of the. Um, I guess we could call them uncharacteristic struggles at this point, given what we saw the Oregon State defense do last year. Um, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily a huge problem at Arizona. It was a low possession game and, and kind of a grinded out game. So, um, you know, I don't think necessarily the the greatest uh, measurement of where Oregon State's at defensively this season. If Oregon State struggles to, to pressure Shadur Sanders and, you know, let's Colorado get things going on the ground. That's when I think we should start to sound the alarm bells. Um, Cause Colorado is not a good team in the trenches on, on either side of the ball. Uh, so I think this is a matchup here that, that favors Oregon state heavily. But like you said, the road struggles give me a little bit of pause uh, in saying that Oregon state's just going to run away with this thing. I, I think they have the potential to, if this game was in Corvallis, 
I'd probably favor them by three scores, not two. Um, I saw this open at, at Oregon State minus 11. Uh, like you said, it's it's moved even further in the Beavs' favor. Um, but I think there's a, a little bit of, of a prove-it mentality among Oregon State's fan base right now in going on the road and taking care of a team and, and, and just kind of squeezing the life out of them. That's, that's not something Oregon State has done on the road this year, uh, save for that season opener at San Jose State. So I think if they do go and do that, it gives you a lot more confidence going into that, um, that, that road finale at Oregon. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a tale of two teams when you look at the Beavers at home and on the road this year. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I think there's a lot more to get to with uh, this Colorado matchup. And there's a lot to bet over at Prize Picks, which is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports is just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you just pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections. And then you watch the winnings roll in with basketball season here. You can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, you can have uh, LeBron and Travis Kelsey at 10.5 combined, three-pointers made, and receptions if you want to go over that. Or if you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz, you can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week prize picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in north america so go get started at prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for first deposit match up to 100 that's prizepicks.com slash locked on college use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to 100 the value of a second segment sip goes beyond 100 that's priceless for sure so Let's continue on and look at this matchup with uh, Colorado Carter. So Oregon State has struggled on the road this year, particularly with their defense. That's why I'm kind of encouraged about them here. I haven't made my pick on this game, you know, whether or not I think Oregon State can cover the 13 and a half. But Arizona's got a capable offense, as we know, and Oregon State held them to 27 points. It was a much better defensive effort, probably the best road defensive effort when you consider the caliber of opponent that Oregon State has played in a game this season. And you highlighted the key earlier. It's beating Colorado up front. UCLA mauled the defense or mauled their offensive line. Oregon did the same thing, and they both had big, comfortable wins against the Buffs. When you do that, because of their inability to run the football, Colorado just doesn't have a counterpunch, and they can't keep up. So how do you feel about Oregon State's defensive line going into this game with the Buffs? I like it. I still think Oregon State's defensive front is solid. Um, it's it's veteran. It has, uh, I, I think, some higher-end playmakers than than maybe it gets credit for. Sione Lolohea has been a, a force. James Rawls has been great for multiple years. And then the outside linebackers are, are very deep. So I think Oregon State has all of the talent it needs uh, to, to take advantage of this Colorado offensive line that, that like you said, has has really folded against some of its better competition. So uh, I don't have any concerns there. And I think if, as long as you take Colorado, uh, as long as you take that running game out of it early and you make them throw it to, to try to keep up, um, you know, that's, that's going to be a recipe for success for Oregon state. Cause I think they're going to be able to move the ball. 
Um, while defense hasn't necessarily traveled for Oregon State this year, the offense certainly has. Um, they have not had any issues establishing the running game. And uh, and, and, and DJ Uyunglele, as we say every week, just continues to look more and more comfortable in this offense, uh, has the ability to take the top off of defenses, makes third down throws that a majority of quarterbacks can't make. So I think the Beavers will be able to put up a, a, quite a few points on Colorado. So if they take them out of it at the line of scrimmage defensively, um, that's where I think this game could get slightly out of hand. Yeah, I, I think Oregon State's offense has done a good job of remaining balanced this season. And and by the way, I thought that uh, last time out, Andrew Chatfield Jr. had a really good game uh, against Arizona. I think he's played well uh, the last couple of weeks for the Beavs. Is he a Liatu Latu caliber player? No, but he, he is a guy who is going to have the chance to overpower that Buffs front five when they are in pass protection. And I'm curious, you know, from a Colorado standpoint, how, how you handle this? Because you look at what their offensive line has done this year, or really what they haven't done this season, Carter, and they've just been awful. They've been awful. There, there's no other way around it. Deion Sanders took a shot at him pretty directly, saying we need to get better guys up there. And, you know, that, that's something I think we can all see to be true because Shador Sanders every single week, regardless of the opponent, but especially against, you know, plus defensive lines, is running for his life. I think you have to be reliant upon a quick passing game and the screen game if you're Colorado. I, I don't know what else they can do because they clearly can't take the shots downfield that they were able to at times earlier this season because they, Shador just doesn't have enough time. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, there's not a whole lot about the matchup that I think would scare me from an Oregon State perspective other than obviously Colorado has that big playability through the air. Uh, something that they displayed early in the season and have have kind of relied on really for for their points. Um, you know, Shadur's ability to uh, to to get his receivers the ball in 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 the open field, uh, whether that's like you said those, those short routes, screens. Um, it's a team that loves the screen because that's basically their running game. You know, if you can't establish the the run, you have to figure out a way to to get your guys the ball around the line of scrimmage, and so. Um, I, I think that'll be a maybe a point of emphasis for Oregon State this week is you know keep the receivers in front of you. If if you can contain them and if you can limit those short passes to three or four yards, you're going to find a lot of success because I don't think this is a Colorado team that's going to be able to convert many third and threes on the ground uh, against a defensive front that that like you said, Andrew Chatfield Jr., uh, an SEC caliber player transferred in from Florida. You know Oregon State has the guys there, so. Um, yeah, if, if you keep those receivers in front of you, uh, Colorado could have a pretty long day offensively. Yeah, and then you look at the bus defensively, and not much has gone right for them on, on the defensive side of the ball. Oregon State runs it for about 187 yards a game. Colorado allows 165, which is 10th in uh, the Pac-12. I think this is a classic example, going back to you know prize picks, if you find a prop for Damian Martinez in there, or Deshaun Fenwick, either one. I, I think both can be in for a long day here. And, you know, DJU had that great road game against Cal, but against Arizona, again, same sort of struggles that we saw against Washington State with a completion percentage close to 50%. If I'm Brian Lindgren and Jonathan Smith and that Oregon State offensive staff, I, I am looking at that tape from the Oregon game 
and saying, I'm going to run the football until you put nine players into the box because clearly Colorado just doesn't have the horses to stop it. And this is a great matchup for the Beavs offensive line. And that's where I think DJ can shine. You know, when you get, I, I don't want to say one dimensional on offense, because there's nothing wrong with running the ball if, if they can't stop it. Uh, but if you make them over respect the run, that's going to open up all sorts of stuff for DJ in the passing game. And again, it goes back to the reason he came to Oregon state, the run sets up the pass and, and that's kind of where he thrives. It's the play action. It's the, Oh, they're expecting run. Let's go take a 40 yard shot downfield. Cause they're not going to see it coming. Like that's, that's DJ's bread and butter right there. Um, so yeah, I mean, like you said, if they can get that, uh, that tandem going in Martinez and Fenwick, uh, I, I think the offense could really open things up there, and and that's where you see them pull away. Is if uh, if if Colorado is forced to over respect the run, uh, that's where I think Oregon State takes some shots downfield, gets DJ into a rhythm, and and lights up the scoreboard here. Yeah, I I think Silas Bolden and Anthony Gould have pretty quietly in the Pac-12, a conference loaded with great receivers. You look at Washington's guys, Troy Franklin, T Mac down at uh, Arizona, have all been you know, among the best. And I'm certainly not even mentioning everybody who's been, who's been great there. But I think that when you look at Colorado's defense this season, it's really struggled in, in all three phases passing wise this year, allowing over 300 per game. And there have been a lot of chunk plays that have come with that. And, and Silas Bolden and Anthony Gould, that's kind of their specialty. You know, not that, uh, you know, Bolden, I think is the more versatile of the two, at least that's the way he's used offensively, but they're both really just, seemingly every time I watch Oregon State's offense and they're catching a pass, it's 15 plus yards down the field. There aren't a lot of, you know, five yard slants with these guys. The play action sets up for that very, very well. And DJ has hit those shots this year. They're going to have chances once again to be running free against a pretty, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Soft Colorado defense. Like they, they just haven't been good. They have not been good, whether Travis Hunter's been there or Travis Hunter has not been there. I think Hunter could you know, work to take away one of them, but certainly not both of them. And then you can work in guys like Jack Velling at tight end. Right. And the Travis Hunter element, is the, the next point I wanted to get to, I mean, he could be the biggest test that Bolden and Gould face. And I think, I, he, probably, to, I think he probably is to this point. Yeah. And, and I'm curious to see... Do they match him up against one of them to try to, you know, completely neutralize, say, Bolden, and then, you know, you're just relying on Gould and Velling? Or do they, you know, do they throw him around and, and put him on different guys? Uh, this could be a huge Velling game. Uh, Jack Velling has more touchdowns than any tight end in college football. His connection with DJ, I mean, that might be the strongest connection on this offense right now. They they are firing on all cylinders, those two. Um and if you've got Travis Hunter trying to take away the, the receivers out wide and the Colorado defense is loading the box against the run, like Jack Velling could be wide open over the middle of the field all night long. And, and Colorado struggles to get pressure. And this is a great Oregon State offensive line. I think you're going to see some play action shots from, from Brian Lindgren and Jonathan Smith where they're saying, OK, we trust our offensive line as they should to go out there and give DJ a lot of time. I think you can see some of those, you know, five, six, seven second pockets that DJ's had at, at points this season to execute the offense. But there's something I want to ask Carter about uh, the quarterbacks and something I want to ask all of you as well. 
Have you checked out FanDuel yet? Because, boy, you should. It's America's number one sports book, and you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. So if you're a B fan out there listening to or watching this show, and you put $5 on the money line, not the point spread, the money line for Oregon State at Colorado because you feel super confident that they are going to win, and it wins, you get $150. It is that simple. So, if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use, great interface, and a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season and get your college football gambling fix on as well. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, so last thing I want to ask you about today, Carter, has been a recurring happening or i was gonna say recurring occurrence but that sounded a little bit funky english is dumb anyway so something that oregon state has employed regularly this season is aiden childs getting one drive and it's usually the one drive and it's not a one drive you know once they have a 10 point lead it's one drive when the game is still in question i i do not recall barring having a a team actually having a quarterback battle and not knowing who their starter is or who it should be seeing something like this. Childs, for those who don't know, is the highly recruited true freshman who has got a lot of potential. I mean, he he is a big-time quarterback yet for the Beavs and is the the quarterback of the future once DJ's time in Corvallis comes to a close. what's your take on this? Because I find it to be odd. And then I look at DJ's numbers in some of the games, you know, when they're two losses, he's really struggled. I I, I don't know if I love this from Jonathan Smith and the staff, though I might understand what they're trying to do. I've been pretty conflicted on it all season. So specifically it's the third series of the game. That's, that's the child series. And it's something they've done for, I, I mean, over a month at this point, really it's been, I think since the start of conference play even. Um, and, and basically it's, it's kind of 50, 50 in that you've seen Aiden Childs make some freshman errors uh, earlier in the season. He, he took some sacks against Utah. He had troubles getting the play calls in and, you know, they had to burn timeouts and, and had delay of game penalties, but then he's also led scoring drives and made some pretty impressive passes. I mean, he, I, if I remember correctly, I think he had a touchdown pass against Utah, um, or it might have been. I think it, it, was, UC, been, I think it was UCLA. It, it might have been the UCLA game. It was one of those two home games there. Uh, yeah, UCLA is, is is right. It was a nice pass to the corner of the end zone. One of those that makes you say, "Oh yeah, this kid's going to be pretty good." Um, I think he's good right now. I think DJ's the better quarterback, uh, and there's a reason that he's the starter and and plays ninety five percent of the game. But um, do I love? that Aiden Childs, that this isn't Aiden Childs' fault. Do I love that Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren choose to disrupt the flow of the game by bringing in a true freshman quarterback when you have a quarterback that's trying to find a rhythm early in the game? I mean, usually that's, what this I is, don't, that's the part this of is it first that I don't love. Quarter. Yeah. You know, this is, this is when DJ is still trying to get into a groove and, and trying to determine what kind of game he's going to have. And you put him on the sideline. And I know DJ has been supportive of this, at least outwardly. Um, and it's great to get Aiden Childs all sorts of experience, but like when the offense sputters, you know, when it doesn't lead to a touchdown drive and then when TJ comes out and, you know, and maybe he's out of a groove, that's when you say like, 
what are we doing? You know, <laughs> right. what, so, what are we so doing here, here? Here's the other thing that I can't get past. And I think what they are attempting to do, quite frankly, is keep Aiden Childs from transferring. 100%. It's a lot harder for a guy to decide to transfer when he can get a feel for the offense, have that trust of the coaching staff materialize in such a big way. But here's where I don't like it, Carter. I don't know that it sends the right message to Oregon State offensively for 2023 because that feels like you're coaching this season with an eye to 2024 when this is a year with the team they have, the coaching staff they have, and the schedule they had, we're getting to the Pac-12 title game. You like you should have been all your chips into the middle of the table, and it feels like, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Jeopardy fan, so I'll make this metaphor here. It, instead of going all in on the daily double, it feels like they saved a couple thousand bucks in case they get it wrong. And and I just don't know in a league that is is as competitive as the Pac-12 that you can afford to have that. <sighs> I, I just, I, I don't love it. And I don't love what it means for DJ. He might say publicly, you know, he's a good guy. So he's not going to start a fire or anything like that. He's not going to come out and say, yeah, no, it bugs me. I wish they wouldn't do or anything like that. There's no way it doesn't bug you at least a little bit, because as you pointed out correctly, they're doing it early in the game when DJ's trying to settle in. I, I, I just I, I think it's thinking too much about 2024 and not enough about 2023. And now you're in a position where you have to win out just to have a shot at the Pac-12 championship game. No, there's an element within Oregon State, and they've they've kind of had this mindset in years past too with some of their their quarterback competitions throughout the years that they can win games with multiple quarterbacks. And so I think they're comfortable with saying, All right, Aiden, go lead this, go lead this drive to the end zone. And you know, they have all the confidence in the world that he can, but Again, like, should you be putting your faith in a true freshman when you have a former five-star quarterback who has proven time and time again that he can make plays that very few quarterbacks in the country can? Um, and, and, by, and, by, and by the way, just to cut you off real quick, that's the other thing is it's not as if Childs can do things that DJ can't. You know, Childs had a big, long throw that he executed against Arizona. It was an amazing throw and I think should make Oregon State fans excited about what he can be for them at the quarterback position going forward. But I don't look at plays like that or anything that Childs has done and think to myself, oh, well, that's why he's in there because DJ can't do it. Because I've seen DJ make those same sorts of plays. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it does come back to, and again, Jonathan Smith, I, I, I doubt will admit this publicly, but I think a lot of it does come back to the the fear maybe of having Aiden Childs leave via the transfer portal if he's not getting playing time or if there's uncertainty about Oregon State's future or whatnot. I, everything that I've heard about Aiden Childs and, and everything that, you know, by all accounts, this is a guy who's 100% committed to the program. I mean, he had big time offers uh, coming in at, at late in his recruitment and he said, no, I'm a, I'm a beaver. You know, I committed to this team early in the process and I'm going to stick through it. Um, a, a guy who I think, uh, like you said, is the quarterback of the future. And I don't think there's a, a huge possibility of him leaving, but that's the reality of college football in 2023 is you always have to have that in the back of your mind. And I think if you're a coaching staff and you finally, finally six years into your tenure, have a quarterback that is yours, that is your recruit. You brought him in that you believe in. And that is a proven talent because Oregon state hasn't had that under Jonathan Smith. 
You know, we were talking as recently as last year about quarterback recruiting at Oregon State being a, why can't they get someone in here with Smith and Lindgren? I, I think now that they finally have that guy, they're going to hold on to him. You know, they don't want to see that guy slip through their fingers. And so getting him some playing time early, there could be an element, as you kind of alluded to earlier, of saying, hey, please don't transfer. Um, but I, I think, too, there is a lot of benefit to Aiden Childs to getting experience as a true freshman, you know, burning that red shirt option this year and and giving him like what could end up being like 10 games of experience under his belt as he gets ready to lead the offense. You know, maybe you see the freshman errors this year, but maybe because he's playing one series a game this year, he's got the the knowledge and the experience and the confidence to not make those mistakes when he's called upon to lead the offense full time next year or you know, maybe the year after, but I would assume next year. I know this sucks to say for Oregon State fans. I seriously doubt that they would have this kind of dosy do and back and forth at quarterback if the Pac-12 was staying together. Because I don't think there's a concern about him transferring. If you can assure him you're playing Power 5 football, you're our starter in 2024. I think most guys at the quarterback position even – I mean, Arch Manning, for goodness sake, has not taken a snap as Texas's quarterback. There are no rumors about him transferring right now. Even a guy like that understands uh, that, that that it takes some time. So I think it's a tough spot to be in. I, I still don't – you know, we don't know all the inner workings. We don't know all the details. I don't love the way that it looks for Oregon State's offense. They are still a 6-2 and two football team. Pac-12 championship is still within reach. They need help. They don't control their own destiny, but – they, they can certainly uh, get on the path and put themselves in a good position with wins against Colorado and Stanford. I think they will pick up wins in both of them. Carter Baines, Beaver Blitz, 24-7 Sports. Appreciate it as always, man. Thank you. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. And until then, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.